It's not that we're lacking ideas of what we could do technologically, but it is about how we translate those ideas into market opportunities. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines and the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in again to our geeky podcast to discuss the fascinating field of AI and machine learning, corporate craziness, passion for technology and the role of humans in it. Today, we're super excited to have none other than Anne-Marie Grosefri with us. Anne-Marie is the head of research in energy and electronics at Siemens Technology. She's passionate about technology with a purpose along the line of collaboration, innovation and sustainability. And we are already very excited for this episode. So let's lose no more time and kick off. Anne-Marie, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you and where do we catch you today? Hi, guys. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, you're catching me in my beautiful dining room here in uh, my flat in the downtown of the tech hub of uh, Munich. Nice one. <laughs> there you go. Anne-Marie, there, there seems to be some kind of a trend um, I've heard. We've recently talked to Peter and, you know, there seems to be a branch that, like, you know, bridging the worlds, the strategy, technology, you know, merging ma maybe both approaches, anchoring strategies and leveraging technology, right? And I guess you're a brilliant example of, you know, how to commute between those worlds, right? How <laughs> does it feel actually like... Is it is it having like two passports and connecting the best of it, and or maybe finally you know coming home to industrial research? Hmm. Now that's a good question. I mean, certainly it doesn't feel schizophrenic. Let's put it that way. Um, it, it, I've always had two hearts beating in my chest, and uh, you know, some people say culture eats strategy for breakfast. I don't think it's quite the same with technology and strategy. So. What I'm really enjoying is actually that as Siemens, and if you look at where we're, where we're headed as a company with this clear affirmation that we want to be a technology company, that we've also taken the decision to really bring strategy and technology closer together. And not just organizationally, but also from the way how we do things. Um, so we've just now um, undergone a, a rescoping of our major corp uh, company or technology program, right? And I think this was certainly an extremely strategic effort. You know, we did some outside-in benchmarking, some market studies. We chatted with the colleagues from strategy, brought it really all together to then inform our technological direction. And, you know, looking at the, at the broader landscape beyond Siemens, I think it's so crucial that what we do technologically is somehow informed by sound reasoning and by some market validation. And that's the whole thing about technology with purpose. And we don't just invent and we don't just do things because they're cool to build, but we do them because they're very much needed, right, to mm -hmm. move us forward as a society, as a company. Mm -hmm. And so I am really enjoying being sort of a traveler here, straddling these, these two universes as they're coming together. Living the jet set life, so to say. <laughs> the carbon neutral jet the set life. Jet because, set life uh, you know, I, I took over this role just at the beginning of COVID. And of course, we yeah. have a global team. Mm -hmm. um, but very sadly, I must say, I have, I have not even made it to Austria. 
um, we've been completely virtual for the past 18 months. And, uh, and now, for, for pregnancy-related reasons, now I'm grounded. And so it's really been an experiment in, in virtual collaboration. Yeah, it changed so much. And you just mentioned that you um, started your new role beginning of COVID. That's already like two, almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so you're heading the research department for energy and electronics at Siemens. So what are some of those topics or challenges that you're exploring or dealing with on a daily basis? Can you share some of your favorite use cases? Absolutely. Um, I think there are many. And there's much more to what we do than what the name promises. So let me give you a little bit of an overview. Um, certainly, electronics um, is a fundamental pillar of our work. And actually, we're now already scoping a new uh, company core technology, which is going to be called Integrated Circuits and Electronics, because mm -hmm. of the fundamental strategic importance of the topic of electronics for Siemens, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we're serious about bringing together the virtual and the real world, we're going to need electronics to do this, right? Because at some fundamental level, it will be at the electronics level where these two worlds come together. So we are very much um, looking at um, the end-to-end -end value chain of electronics for Siemens. So starting from the design, where we have, you know, a couple of years acquired this fantastic company called Metrographics, which is one of mm. the market leaders um, for um, electronics design, um, all the way down to how we manufacture our own electronics and how we can become more efficient. And I don't need to explain to the two of you that certainly within the whole scope of electronics manufacturing, the topic of artificial intelligence and machine learning holds tremendous promise. Mm -hmm. So I'm particularly excited about really seeing how we can push the boundary forward by really taking an end-to-end -end approach to electronics at Siemens. Another topic that I'm very passionate about and that we've spent considerable time in, in the past months to, to really get it off the ground is a much more dedicated focus around sustainability. But not sustainability as a buzzword because, you know, in the, in the third derivative, you can really make anything having to do with sustainability, right? You can say, oh, well, um, if I, if I somehow have, if I build a digital twin of, of, of a machine, then it's somehow sustainable because I'm saving so and so much process efficiency. But, but we're also really looking at what role does um, infrastructure and energy systems in the future play in helping us achieve um, the carbon neutral goals that we have set ourselves as a society? And I think there, as a, as a technology company, again, as Siemens, we have an incredible role to play in how we can use digital tools um, to really um, make the necessary technological advances um, in the area of um, sustainable technologies, from ener uh, energy distribution uh, to the way how we consume energy in different factory settings. All of this will become more efficient if we're able to use the tools of digitalization. So I like to say one of our key research areas is actually the topic of digital decarbonization, right? How we can use digital tools um, to decarbonize in a more efficient and also um, cost-effective way for our customers. Because I firmly believe um, there has to be a business case for sustainability, right? It, it, I think all the negotiations are showing it. Vested interests are so strong. Unfortunately, um, even though there's a clear moral case for, mm -hmm. for decarbonization, it, there's, there's market forces which dictate it. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make sure that um, the technologies we build 
um, are not just green, but also offer an economic perspective. You know, how do we bring these two things together if we're really serious about decarbonizing the world? Um, so we have some great teams here at Siemens working on the future of, of grids, mm. the future of, of building automation, all with a view to how can we make these things more efficient, more sustainable. Yeah, preaching the world, feasibility, desirability, and I guess also a bit of uh, profitability, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stakeholders are much more broader, right, uh, to be considered than the shareholders, actually. That's true. I think there's, um, you know, thinking on that is changing. Um, it's not just anymore about uh, securing shareholder value, which, of course, mm -hmm. is, is still important. But, you know, take a look at BlackRock and, and Larry Fink and how the, he's driving as one of the key um, you know, shareholders of basically all Fortune 500 companies, how he's really driving this dialogue around. It goes beyond shareholder returns, or let me phrase it differently. Um, shareholder returns can be more multifaceted than just economic. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, um, you know, we are all shareholders in, in this planet, I mm. think, in some sense. And so um, it's good that we're becoming more multidimensional in how we think about returns beyond just a purely economical aspect do you do you think that we have to anticipate that um in the future the market will be increasingly green because right now we already see that there's a shift of um sustainability and profitability actually moving closer together and there's like that market pressure the pressure by shareholders that is increasing and do you think it would be it would make sense as a company to like invest now in maybe adjacent markets that aren't profitable today but might be in the mid to long term well i think it it, it, it behooves as a company to have a vision about where we want to go and to always be on the lookout for new And I think, especially in, in, in the area of sustainable technologies, we're going to see not just technological advances, but I think what we're going to see a lot in future is different business models. Yeah? Business models that, that are fundamentally um, contrary to where we are today, where it's about selling products. Yeah? Um, I think uh, we will see... Um, as a service business models around decarbonization, maybe. We may even see some sustainability as a service um, offerings around, you know, guaranteeing um, a certain a certain climate neutrality for different companies. I think they're, they're extremely, um, you know, it, it, if you look at the, the startup world, if you look at what's coming out of universities, so many brilliant young minds experimenting with how really to bring business model innovation to the topic of sustainability. Um, because technology will only be one aspect. Yeah. So I think for us at Siemens, um, yes, within technology, we are looking really for what are the, what are the trends and what can we do with the physics no? uh, to, to move this topic forward. But it will go beyond that. I think it has to be coupled with great insights into what our customers want, what they're willing to pay for, and what business models will be feasible around this. Yeah. So I think it's also my 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 view that we as a, as a technology company, we have to um, look beyond technological innovation and also look at things like business model innovation. If I look at all these hyped companies from the Valley, right, that we like to look at so much, which of those are really driven by significant foundational advances in technology 
versus which of them are driven because they've got a clever business model. Yeah. So I think we have to have a lookout for both. And I think it will take both. Yeah. Certainly we need to make technological advances, be it in the areas of energy storage, be in the topic of efficient production machines, be it in carbon capture technologies. I mean, there, our, our homework is endless almost. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we are living in a market economy. We will have to find ways how to make money with it. So we have to always have both, both sides Good of the belt. coin in mind. When, when we talk about digitalization, and you are in the material space, right? That's that's somehow mm -hmm. a bit of a different thing, right? So um, material space always is a bit of, of the hardware heavy, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. Focus. And then we see, you know, all assets and all digital, all products are not digital. All processes sh shall be around uh, digital. What is for you a digital material then? <laughs> Actually, I, I don't think the two things are contradictory at all, but um, mm -hmm. I think they're coming together beautifully. And it actually ties back to the topic of sustainability. Um, what we're trying to do is, yes, um, of course, uh, Siemens is uh, making a move towards software. Absolutely. Mm. We're making a move towards digital services because I think this is also where our customers see potential value, right? The mm. big buzzwords are data and ecosystems. Mm. But we are still living in a physical world, right? I'm sitting here at a table. I'm looking at a physical computer screen. Mm -hmm. And to understand the physics behind of how these things work will always be needed, right? Um, it's not enough just to get the data from a machine if I don't understand the pressure behind it, the temperature behind it, the physical laws governing how a material is made. You know? So I think on the one hand, we will always need some basic understanding of the physics as long as we're not yet completely gone um, in, in, into a virtual world where we're all just meeting as, as avatars, yeah, which I think is a, still a long way off. Um, that's the one thing. But um, what, what we can even do at a, at a more molecular level, right? We used to do a lot of materials research in terms of how to make stronger materials. Mm -hmm. I think in future, it will be companies that are able to actually simulate Digital, you know, the, the, the digitally, the material properties as part of this big um, buzzword around the digital twin, right? I think mm -hmm. this is this is something we're looking at into. If if we are really trying to build digital twin mm -hmm. of our products, of our processes, at the most foundational level, it will require a, a digital simulation of the physical material properties. And again, for that, I will also need a basic understanding of, of the physics and, and the, the material science of these materials behind it. And imagine, you know, if I had a piece of software that would allow me to design a product optimized for end-of-life recyclability or mm -hmm. minimum carbon emissions, if I can simulate that already in the design phase, I can have a tremendous impact afterwards. Yes, but this will require me to understand the material properties, to have mm. a digital twin of those material properties. And I think this is a really neat area that we're looking um, more deeply into, and which is just getting started, and which is infinitely complex because um, you know, how many how many elements are there in the periodic table? I mean, you know, mm. you can take it to the, the power of the infinite in terms of what it means to simulate all these different properties. But we've got to start somewhere. And I think 
um, from, from really wanting to have an end-to-end -end digital twin of a product, of a process, of a production, it starts with also being able to grab, grasp digitally the material properties. Yeah, pretty awesome. That's, that's a hot earth, man. Ah. I mean, you're, you're actually in, 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 in a super technology space, right? Because if I, if I, you know, from a previous collaboration and, and also ongoing collaboration, right? You have power electronics design, you have hardware, you do the battery intelligence, you do the additive manufacturing. Which were, were super excited part of it, and so awesome, right? How do you see then the role of AI and machine learning in that space, right? And then actually, in the what well, it's a big word, right? Now the consultants comes in here, transformation, right, of mm -hmm. of energy and electronics industry. But I guess it is like a bit of a you know mindset, but also mm -hmm. technology wise a transformation. I see the role of AI as in a way as a great simplifier. Um, Because take the topic of digital materials that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. With the number of combinations possible, a human brain will never be able in one lifetime mm -hmm. to calculate through all the different possible combinations that I would need to take account of, right? And I think this is where the power of, of machine learning, of artificial intelligence really can come in when we have these gigantic sets of data, unstructured, um, to really help us streamline and identify um, where the real value is by somehow coming up with an intuitive, clever algorithm um, to help us really um, sort the, uh, the the important stuff from from the distractions. And, and so I really think, um, and now it's getting almost philosophical, right? It's um, Uh, how much, what, what is really artificial intelligence, right? I mean, is it, is, is the artificial intelligence always as good as, only as good as the, the, the person who designed the algorithm behind it, right? Like what, what actually, um, does it, or does it have a life of its own? Do we actually understand when we, when we write this piece of code, always what it will do? Or does it actually at some point have the ability to, 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 to evolve further on its own and to make its own recommendations? So I think, we're just getting started really in, in, in terms of what is possible with mm -hmm. these technologies. But um, I think um, just looking at um, the amount of, 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 of data we have, we will not be able to turn any of that into value in a, in a reasonable time space without recoursing to, to, to artificial mm -hmm. intelligence and machine learning. Yeah, true. I was I was deeply um, actually um, impressed by also obviously uh, by DeepMind's Alpha Fold and I think that's mm -hmm. you know that the protein folding, mm -hmm. um, so that that shows somehow the pay you know that the exploitation of machine learning and, and reinforcement in this kinds of aspects on, on tackling vital aspects at bearable of a materials basically or in a complex you know molecules. Um, uh, which which is only doable through technology and uh, partly and that's some super passionate machine learning aspect obviously. Yes. But um, speaking of a bit of the ITOT thing, right? Mm -hmm. So as uh, in Siemens, in the, you mentioned it and, and motivated already, right? Hardware side is is um, super important, and and it's the somehow the USP. What's which is clear is you know having both competences somehow mm -hmm. together, you know hardware side and software side. So which nowadays it's called a bit of the ITOT, right? Mm -hmm. um, integration and uh, and 
Thus, um, we, we have a, a broad experience in, in the OT world, and I think we have awesome colleagues uh, around us. Um, IT is still is still a bit like softer competences, right? Uh, in, in the large scale, is, is still a bit of a, a challenge. We, we're getting, we're moving faster, not at a scale as I guess we want to mm -hmm. have it, but we, we're getting there. Um, how do you see then, you know, those kinds of which are IT-centric, like a bit of the competitive edge, right, to the other tech teams? Um, where do you think we need to be and place more focus in order to stay competitive on those kinds of new players in the market? I think we need to have a pretty good idea of where we want to play and what really differentiates us um, mm. and what we do ourselves versus mm. where we partner strategically. Um, mm. And uh, I mean, I think there's a reason why we're seeing a lot of uh, scalable business models in a B2C context, because um, the B2C world is much more standardized than the B2B world, and things scale much more easily, right? Um, mm -hmm. The 5 billion Facebook users, or let it, let it be 2 billion, um, there's a lot more homogenous, in some sense, data point. Mm -hmm. than um, the machines that we're seeing on a, on a factory level, which are highly individual and which, depending on which sector they're using, are producing data that, that are not nearly as streamlined. So um, so I think we, we're going to, yes, we will, we will need to, uh, I think, shore up our, our, our digital skills, especially, on, I think, on, on, on for, for, for our people. Um, uh, but that that'll be crucial um, uh, because as as we're undergoing this transformation, um, I think the the real capital that we have is 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 the people who are driving our innovations forward and how 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 well are they equipped to to operate in this new environment? Yeah, to to understand these new business models, um, to understand the customer pain points and. What um, what do they need to understand on machine learning, on on AI, on cybersecurity, etc.? So I think um, for me, it's it's a real strategic imperative as a company that that we're really continually learning and, and in some sense upgrading um, upgrading the skills of of our mm -hmm. entire population, so to speak, um, because that'll ensure I think um, that, that 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 that's a necessary condition to remain competitive in, in this space. Um, what you just said also um, touches upon the next question, because uh, which is about ambidexterity. Because isn't it sometimes also like balancing the tightrope walk? Um, on the one side, you have, um, you have your employees, you have your um, strengths also as a company, and uh, maybe it sometimes makes sense to like continue strengthening those. But on the other hand, you also want to be um, ready for the future for um, everything that is coming up. So you will want to explore. Um, so how do you approach this race between exploitation and exploration of new mm. opportunities in your team? Yeah, we try we try to do both without getting lost, um, and I think this is this is the real struggle, right? Um, because critical voices will also say, well, you know, what what disruptive 
innovations have come from Timmy and from, from Siemens mm. in, in the last 50 years, right? Has there really been some, some industry disruptions that, that we've done? Um, and I think the, the key is, um, the key is empowering your teams to, to have a mindset to be open to both. Um, so yes, I think there's a lot to be said, um, for incrementally moving topics forward. Um, because if we didn't do that, we would have absolutely no money to play with for the more disruptive things, right? Um, so I think it's about appreciating both and the importance of both and also signaling that to the teams that, yes, whilst maybe there seems to be more, more need and more value placed on being super fast, being super agile. You know, I'm using all these buzzwords intentionally here. And, and the rest is kind of the boring stuff. But I really think it needs both and both need to be equally appreciated. And, um, and the, the question is, you know, can everyone do both? Um, or are there pockets in the company where we really should be focusing more on, on the disruption? And are there other pockets, um, that are more dedicated to, to, as you call it, the, the, the exploitation. Yeah. I think in the end, um, coming back to your original question, Uli, it has to be about the company strategy. You know, mm -hmm. do we have a clear vision on where we are focused on exploitation? Mm -hmm. And, and, and even more so, how long we will be able to exploit before mm -hmm. what we're trying to exploit actually is fundamentally disrupted. Right. So I think this is where it's so important. That as a, as a company, we have, um, um, a clear view as, as best as we can of the future disruptions coming to where we are currently exploiting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that, that I think that the, the worst case scenario is that you plan on continuing to exploit for a number of years and you are not seeing the meteor coming that is, that yeah. is going to hit you. Um, and so, uh, You've got to be able to have both in mind and to have, uh, to have the freedom as, as a company. Um, and I think also the, the fearlessness to say, yes, I'm going to exploit here and I'm purposely going to do some things that may actually, um, in the end, perhaps undermine eventually what I'm trying to exploit. Right. Um, but I'm going to do it because I'd rather have it be me. <laughs> than have it be someone else. But I think that takes a lot of courage. Um, that's not very palatable um, to all the people who are who are working in the core business. And so I think these are really some of the challenges um, also for, for our managing board about how, how they place priorities and how they steer the company, having having that constant trade-off um, in these two dimensions. Yeah, well put. I'm a huge fan of uh, Alex Osterwald's actually strategizer thing. He he got this Invictible Company uh, book out there and and you know differentiate between explore and exploit and say like you know explore as a creating new opportunities in the research space. Right, uh, one essential pillar is time box. You know. If you, mm. if you try, dare to try new, you have to time box. Otherwise, you're just losing it. And exploit is then traditional KPIs, which needs a bit more bounded, you know, output uh, aspects. But the explore station is needs to be, you know, let's let's explore the technology and or opportunity or businesses in all different dimensions. But it has to be time boxed. Otherwise, you get nowhere. Um, in this mm -hmm. sense. Now, that's kind of a super nice framework. Explore and exploit is also something, right? I guess you know, as we grow more digital. You know, 
um, more and more cyber comes into the play and especially cyber sec security um, now comes into the play. How do you, how do you see that? And is that a thing in the material space and electronic space as well? Like, Default, oh, absolutely. You know, I um, think it's embedded. It's, it's, <laughs> it's embedded. I think it's the yeah. license to operate. I mean, mm -hmm. um, if, if we're saying electronics is sort of the connector between mm -hmm. the physical and, and the virtual, then we better make sure that it's not hackable. <laughs> So it's a trusty um, on chips, is yeah, it? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, um, okay. for sure. Um, okay. I mean, again, you know, making the comparison here to the to the B2C space, everyone seems to be perfectly fine sharing their most intimate data um, on, on, on Facebook about whatever, um, even, you know, photos of their newborns and et cetera. Um, the same shareability willingness to share information is non-existent in the digital space because it's highly, highly sensitive, right? I mean, and not, not just because we're perhaps moving in the defense industry or anything, but a standard, you know, a standard industrial production plant is, um, just imagine if it's, if it's, um, down by one or two minutes, the economic damage that is done by such mm. an outage. Yeah. Mm. So we're dealing in the whole B2B space with extremely sensitive, sensitive data on the whole, mm -hmm. which comes down to trust. Yeah. Mm. So I think um, this will be, um, I don't even think it'll be a key differentiator. I think, as I said, it's a license to operate. If you as a company are not able to firmly convince your customers of the utmost integrity of their data, yeah, mm. their, their most precious um, vitals, they will never want to collaborate with you. Um, and we're seeing, right, with the amount, um, if, if you just uh, are looking in, in a daily news report, industrial espionage, um, hacker attacks, state-based actors, um, we had this nice um, um, industrial spyware case now that, that was around, um, Mm. Uh, made, made the news a couple of months ago. Um, so I think this topic, uh, I expect it to be a domineering topic um, over the next years. Um, and it'll be fundamental. It'll be fundamental to, to driving forward this IT-OT integration will be data security, will be trust. Um, mm. Absolutely. True. Um, a lot of what you're just like saying in this short conversation um, actually shows how broad your knowledge is in this field and that you like know a lot about very different fields. Um, but how do you do that, Anna-Marie? How do you keep your innovative and creative spirit up? How do you stay up to date uh, and on top of the research trends, for instance, in the field of AI? Do you have some tips and tricks? <laughs> Well, um, I guess I'm flattered um, that uh, that um, my uh, my high level <laughs> opinions um, make me make me a qualified uh, participant um, of this discussion. No, I think um, you know there's something to do with natural curiosity. Um, I think uh, um, you know being being the mother of a young child, um, uh, you learn that you always need to have answers you now because the questions you're hit with. <laughs> They're beyond your wildest imagination. So um, there's something to be said for for just keeping up your own curiosity and 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 trying to to just um, stay interested and and actually you know 
I'm going to out myself now. I, I don't do too much on social media, all this Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Facebook and Instagram stuff, because I find the, the, you know, the, the quality of the information is, um, yeah, it varies. And, and, and so I, I try to, um, to just be curious in conversations. I think we have so many fascinating people at, at Siemens who bring so much depth, um, mm. to what they do. So I think this is, this is one great source of information. Um, and, and, and really just engaging and listening, um, I think is, is, uh, worth, um, so much more than, than seeing what's out there in, in your little Twitter bubble. Um, and, and I, I try to read very broadly in the, in the time that I have, um, and not just tech, tech magazines, you know, the technology review, but, um, the economist literature, um, biographies, I think, um, just to to get as many influences as possible and to have as many different angles in my work. Um, because if I were just a technologist looking at my job, I think I wouldn't be doing it justice, right? It would be very one-dimensional. And so I think it's extremely important um, to keep uh, as, as, as broad as possible um, in, in terms of who influences you, in terms of where you draw your inspiration from, um, and, and I always found that for me, it's very easy to get excited about things. Um, whether it's a movie, whether it's a book, whether it's a new technology, I like to, um, I can get lost in it for, for a couple of hours. And so, um, it's, it's, uh, the, the real challenge is not to do that with too many things because then you, <laughs> um, very little time remains for, for, for other stuff. But I think the, the important thing is just to, at, at least for me, it's always been, not to be too narrow, but to, if something strikes your fancy, to read up on it, to follow up on it, um, even if it's not directly related, because somehow a certain aspect of it will, will, you know, help shape who you are and will, you will, you will be able to glean something out of every conversation that you have, out of everything you read. And, and that's kind of what, how, how I operate. We already touched upon a lot about the sustainability aspect, especially in technology. Um, but I want to go back once again because I thought it was um, super inspiring and insightful to talk with you about that. Um, so you also mentioned the um, UN Climate Change Conference that is taking place right now and a lot about technology with purpose. And actually, you were like the, the technology with purpose expert, um, right? Because you worked... Um, As you, when you started at Siemens, you started your career actually in the sustainability office and now you're um, in, at Siemens Technology, which is super cool. Um, how has the rise of sustainability um, in the overall awareness actually um, influenced your research activities? So how is that reflected in hmm. what you're doing? I think uh, I want to say a great deal. And also I want to say that... Um, You know, when I took over at, at, at the research and energy and electronics, there was already a great team of people who are passionate about sustainability, about sustainable energy technologies working. Um, so it would be very wrong of me to claim that by me going there, now we've suddenly 
seen the light and are going to work on sustainable technologies. But I think actually, um, for a long time, Siemens has been has been a visionary leader when it comes to technologies around, you know, climate change, climate resilience, climate mitigation. Um, and I think the real challenge in it for for us lies in, again a technology not in being able to invent the most sustainable technologies. Um, if you give people money, they will invent whatever you want. Yeah? I think the real challenge for us lies in we have these great ideas around, for example, how you know grids could operate in the future, um, how they could become more intelligent, how we can um, make them much more effective. But how do we find a business case behind it? How do we turn that into a business for Siemens? And I think this is this to me is the the greatest challenge I still see um, around this topic of sustainable technologies. It's not that we're lacking ideas of what we could do technologically, but it is about how we translate those ideas into market opportunities and into economic cases for our customers. And I think this is where we need to focus on. How do we bring those to the market and the technologies together? Yeah, and I think this is what we've really been working on. And I think I'm seeing a lot more collaboration also between T and our business units in the quest around this, um, these ideas for new business models, you know, I think, which is, which is very much the direction we need to go in. And, but how, how can we get faster and better in, in finding those business models and finding maybe those, those use cases? Um, I read a lot about, uh, companies like Microsoft and Google who are having the, those huge AI for good campaigns, investing mm. hundred millions dollars there, um, to explore, um, use cases that don't really just seem profitable, like, um, saving the snow leopard from extinction or something, but maybe, Maybe those, like the exploration activities in those fields could be a first step of um, exploring and uh, maybe also finding then eventually in the mid or long term um, profitable use cases there. Do you think that this could be also a way for Siemens, like having initiatives like that? I think um, what we need to do as Siemens is to, to leverage the world beyond us um, much more effectively. So. We recently had um, this, the Tech for Sustainability campaign, for example, which, you know, it was just a first idea. Um, but I said in my pitch there, and I firmly believe it, you know, that the challenge we are up to with the topic of decarbonization is so significant. It will not be solved by a single company. It will not be solved by a single state actor. It won't be solved by a single foundation. Yeah, it, it, it needs all of us together and and the universities of this world as well. So I think, you know, a company as Siemens, which is so present globally, I think our role can really be in, in this topic to bring people together. Yeah. Mm. To, to, to source the best ideas. We don't necessarily need to have them in house. Right. Um, I think the, the answer will be in bringing those who have the best ideas, um, you know, together. And, and making something out of it. So I think that the topic of open innovation, of innovation challenges, of um, interdisciplinary um, teams coming together that are staffed by customers, by universities, by, by Siemens employees, 
um, working on, on, on challenges. I think that's the way forward, yeah. Um, I am a firm believer that um, in, in the end, <laughs> sounds cheesy, but in the end, you know, working as a team with, again, these different perspectives um, can be really inspirational and, and can really um, help you turn a corner when you seem to be stuck somewhere. So it's about connecting people, bringing the best minds together in, in the search for not just what is technologically possible, but again, um, what what can be turned into into market offering. And certainly, um, politics will have to play a role here as well, right? Um, um, in, in how we incentivize and how we structure our markets and how we price carbon, for example. So I think also here, um, as a global company, and certainly one with a big footprint in Germany, I think, and now this is getting political, I think we as Siemens can certainly, um, I think, take also firm positions on where we stand on some of these issues um, uh, to to drive the debate and, and, and to pull our weight here. Very cool opinion. Thanks for sharing. Um, now we want to move from technology and politics and innovation to more um, to a more personal part. So it actually goes without saying that you act as a role model for many women out there as you inspire them to start a career in tech or science. But who was actually your role model at the time that you that that encouraged you to follow this path? And what were some difficulties arising along the way? <laughs> so this is a difficult question. And I know previously, I think on this question, I I say things like, oh, it's Marie Curie, right? Which is an obvious go-to when you're a young woman scientist. In, in the end, actually, we probably don't even know who the most truly inspirational people of this world are because we don't know them because um, their stories are not spoken of, right? It's probably some, you know, young mother in Africa who's trying to, uh, I don't know, do sustainable farming to raise her family. It's Mm. young tech pioneers somewhere in 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 China who are experimenting with new um, traction systems so it, we, we don't we don't know um, where you know where and basically what, what I'm saying is essentially everyone I think can be very inspirational and and I think the, the important thing is and, and, and the important advice for me was always not not aspiring to be like someone else um, because every person has to find their own way and you have to the best thing you can do is to believe in yourself and and to stick to who you are you know to to be true to what you think and feel and value and to follow those instincts and then you can take inspiration from a lot of different amazing people out there a lot of them not famous um, and, and, and I think this is, um, this for me was always the, the key. It's about being, being, being true to who you are and not trying to be something or someone else, um, in, in, in trying to find your own way. Here we go. Nice one. Yeah. So even though we, we are trying to invite these hidden figures, right? These these hidden innovators, obviously, to this podcast. Here we go. We make them hopefully <laughs> somehow accessible. <laughs> 
So, um, you know, working in, in corporate, is, especially in Siemens, no, actually in large corporates, is always crazy. I think it's super crazy. It's uh, super fascinating. You have this, you know, this, this super network, experts, colleagues, you know, she and he all around the world um, and getting engaged, getting challenges, but it's also super tricky, right? Mm -hmm. So what kind of tips would you give young Young, the younger folks out there, right? Who's uh, like, yo, I want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I catch, I catch the ball and so like physical digital world. That makes sense. Um, you know, what would you recommend them? You know, is there anything you would have back in the days? You know, on, as a student mm -hmm. level or early professional, you you would love to hear prior. Mm -hmm. uh, you should have talked me, uh, told me that prior, guys. <laughs> right? Um, any any tips, tips? Yeah. So I always like to say, working at a large corporation is kind of a neat combination of a uh, game of thrones house of cars and the office you know if you throw those three together that's kind of um, <laughs> yes, exactly. that's kind of my, uh, that my daily life <laughs> um what i what i try to do and what i try to live with my teams and also which i think is is the best mentality and which i would give as advice to anyone it's play to win yeah um, don't play not to lose. It's about playing to win. Um, because the things we are working on, frankly, we can't afford to lose. Yeah? They're too important. Um, when it comes to developing new technologies um, that, that are going to move the world forward, we have mm. to play to win. And by that, I mean, um, don't be afraid of the political shenanigans that may happen of, you know, all these alignments that are needed and who says what and who thinks what and who stands to gain. And, you know, there's just, as you said, so many discussions in a complex environment like Siemens that can detract from what you're actually trying to do. Mm. And so for me, it's all about trying to win. Yeah. Mm. And I think this is really freeing um, because I'm fundamentally convinced that what we are working on is right. And it's necessary. Yeah. And if someone wants to tell me differently, they're welcome to, but I'm mm -hmm. still going to try with everything that I have to move the topics that I believe are right forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I think I, we owe it to our employees. We owe it to the company. We owe it to our children to have that kind of attitude. Wow. What a beautiful ending to this um, episode. Anne-Marie, thanks so much for being, um, for being you, for being so open, for being on the show, for sharing so much. It was, um, I learned a lot and, um, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, we always have a little ritual, a little game at the end uh, of each episode. Um, it's a game that we want to play with you. It's called Authentic Autocomplete. And for the closing, I will give you a couple of sentence starters and you will just finish. Anne-Marie, are you ready? All right. And I, I, you know, I did not look at the questions beforehand. So whatever you get now, as promised, is, is really Freudian, unfiltered. Let's Authentic, see how it goes. Right? So let's start with an easy one. Siemens is an amazing company. That was an easy one. That was an easy one, wasn't it? That's how. Technology with purpose is why I get out of the morning, uh, out of bed in the morning every day. Wow. The best advice I was ever given was? Playing to win. There you go. 
Consistent, mm-hmm. consistent. <laughs> <laughs> now it's now it's getting more difficult. If I could change one thing in the world immediately, it would be this fundamental inequality that we see between the developed and the developing world. I know it's not an easy one, but. I like that. And last but not least, the next big thing at Siemens will be? Decarbonization as a service. There we go. Love it. That should, should, should do the job then for the next 10 years. There you go. Anne-Marie, thanks so much for, you know, spending this time with us and being so open, being so passionate, being so honest, um, you know, sharing um, in sharing your views a bit on the world of technology, craziness, but also AI and machine learning. Uh, I, I'm super excited, um, you know, about, about our conversation here. And so thanks so much for being there. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it very much. And folks out there, stay tuned. There's a bit more to come. Uh, so we have now a challenge, I guess, for Money Marie, right? We we need to get more innovative folks, right, and hidden figures, um, you know, which change, you know, the, the future um, to be included in here. So stay bold, committed, open-minded, and we hear us at the next Siemens AI Lab podcast. Cheers. Mm-hmm.